I got into animal sheltering when I was young and had no idea. And, and I was like, I hate people, you know? I'm over that now, thanks to all of the wonderful people that have come into my life through this work. But like, I will tell you, I've said things like that. Listening to the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. If you consider your dog a family member, then this podcast is for you. Let's celebrate the love and connection we have with our dogs. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. This is a place for us to connect in the joy of loving our dogs and also a place where you know you're not alone in the difficult times or in the sadness of missing a dog that was an important part of your life. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Welcome to episode 24 of the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host, Erin Scott, and I have a very special roundtable episode for you today. This is actually the first live in-person roundtable episode because my previous plans had been thwarted by COVID. All of the guests on today's roundtable are actually previous guests of the podcast, so if you're interested in learning more about their own individual stories, make sure you check the links in the show notes. The topic for today's roundtable episode is animal sheltering mythbusters. And this actually came about because several weeks ago I was scrolling through my social media and saw something being shared that really made my blood pressure rise. And I reached out to Annie and to Caitlin and then to Liz to see if they were up for having a conversation where we could examine some of the stories that we see posted on social media and then talk about what our real life experiences behind these types of stories have been. So throughout the course of the roundtable, you'll hear me refer to a myth that I've seen perpetrated on social media and I'll even read some sample comments of posts that I've seen just over the past couple weeks. And I've tried to not include any type of identifying information. Our point is not to shame anyone or to embarrass anyone, but to have a real dialogue about the types of stories that we see being shared and, like I said, what our real-life experiences have been. All of the guests on today's episode have either had years of experience working in the community with community pet families or, and or, in some cases both, uh, and or worked in animal shelters where they've heard real life stories of people who are struggling with making a decision about their pets. I'm so grateful to Annie, to Caitlin, and to Liz for not only agreeing to be part of the roundtable, but for each of their willingness to share something vulnerable from their life and from their experiences, and even about things that they used to believe that they've now changed their minds about. I also wanted to take a moment before we start to thank 
Chuck Nunn, who was the audio engineer for this episode. He came and sat through our whole conversation, set up all of our microphones. I had never recorded with this many people in person before, so I was so worried I was going to mess it up. So you'll also hear Chuck chime in at the end. We sort of put him on the spot to get his take on our conversation. And he was such a good sport and and weighed in with, with his thoughts, and we really appreciate him. So Chuck, thank you again. So now let's get started with the Animal Shelter Mythbusters Roundtable. All right, this is Erin Scott. I am here today and I am super excited because I have been dreaming of doing something like this in person for two years since I first had the idea for the podcast. So we're doing a live roundtable session. This is our first one that's being recorded live. And I'm here today with literally some of my favorite people in the world. And I'm so excited. So I'm going to go around and let everybody introduce themselves. Everybody here has actually been a guest on the podcast previously, and we're here today doing a Mythbusters episode. Uh, So I'm going to let everybody introduce themselves first, and then we're going to start talking about some of the myths that we hear in the animal welfare community. So Annie? Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me here. Um, My name is Annie Pruitt, and I'm the executive director and founder of Charm City Companions, which is a a nonprofit in Baltimore City that uh, works to keep pets in homes. We work in impoverished neighborhoods in the city, um, trying to support communities in, in keeping their fur babies home with them. Hello, my name is Caitlin Thomas, and I am president of Finding Knox, which is a local Baltimore City nonprofit and volunteer for Charm City Companions. And I've been working in animal shelters locally for about 10 years now. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you, Erin. Hi, I'm Liz Wiener, and I have a background in psychology and working in an animal shelter as an adoption counselor. I'm very excited to be here, and I'm currently a writer. All right, so. I've come up with a list of myths that we hear a lot in the animal welfare world, and we're doing some myth busting. So myth number one is that heartless people dump animals at an animal shelter. So this is an excerpt from something that I recently saw on Facebook. It has a picture of a sad looking dog in a kennel says, this is T. 20 minutes after his adoptive family dumped him at a kennel, they couldn't wait to get rid of him. Please note that he was the one and only dog the family wanted, and they vowed to give him the time, patience, and exercise he deserved. We received a call that he needed to be immediately returned, and there was no care given, even that they learned we had no open fosters and that he would need to go to a lonely kennel. His leash was handed to the kennel manager, and they offered no parting words. The adoptive family walked out and never looked back without a care in the world. This is the face of abandonment. So there's so many things. Does anybody want to start with? I'll go. Go ahead, Annie. So heartless people do not, in my opinion, dump animals at shelters. They wouldn't be that thoughtful, probably, to go to a shelter, knowing the shelter is the right place to take an animal if you can't care for your animal. Um, And also, I think this will probably be echoed. Um, There are a lot of things that happen inside a home that could trigger a reason why you can no longer keep your dog or your cat that are not heartless reasons. And they may be personal and something that folks don't want to reveal. And to make assumptions, which I strongly disagree with making assumptions, it's one of the four agreements, (laughs) um, 
you should never assume that people want to get rid of their animals. Um, I think we probably all have seen this, that people have detached before they get to that shelter because they have to. When something's not working out, you mentally, in your mind, create a barrier to protect your protect your emotions. And yeah, I'm sure that this animal was really sad coming in, as was the family. And they probably didn't look back because they were full of tears. I was just thinking, we're recording this in my office. Um, you know, there's times when you mess up with work and you might have a boss that's compassionate about it and you might have a boss that's not compassionate about it. And I can remember times where I've had to put on a steel face and go in and act like nothing's wrong and get berated and get given the third degree and I'm trying not to lose my shit and I'm trying not to cry and I'm trying not to yell and my face is just nothing. Right. Because that's what I have to do to survive to get through this moment. Absolutely. And that's the first thing that I thought of when I read that. Yeah, I I think, you know, both of you, for me, what resonated is it's so easy nowadays, especially with social media, to lose part of your humanity, you know, and, and to look at something like this, this tiny snapshot of you know, a, a family's life and, you know, a dog's life. And from an outsider's perspective, assume the worst, because we do that as humans every single day, right? But I look at something like this and I take a deep breath because we care so much about animals and that's all we're seeing here. And I say, well, it's not fair for me to make a judgment because I haven't met this family. I haven't met this person. I haven't had a conversation with them about what's going on in their life. And there's so much to every story, and we know that. We go through it every day. Um, but I think social media really does make that hard. And I think that we all just need to take a breath and say, why are we feeling emotionally reactive to this thing? And what is the problem here, right? And how do we work to fix that if we care so much about it? Because one of the things I think when I first got involved in volunteering, right, is you want to keep, you want to help all these animals that are in the shelter. And to me, the, the natural question is, well, why are they right. here? And they're here because of human problems and human issues. Right. And so, of course, we all have empathy for the dog. But if we want to solve the problem of the animals being in the shelter, we have to have human solutions and understand where the people are coming from. And there's just so not any understanding Absolutely. or even an attempt to understand and and that just makes me sad and like you said we see it on social media so much and and humans have such a negativity bias yes. to begin with like you know somebody could tell you a thousand good compliments and you get like that one negative review and that's the one that you focus mm -hmm. on like it's just our negativity bias that we you know so we can see a million dogs getting adopted into homes but we see this one that got returned and that's what sticks Absolutely. with us and that's that's what we react to. 100%. I'm curious for you, Liz, how that all worked out with your work in the shelter. Having your background, I would imagine, you know, there's more sensitivity to the humans, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. I worked in the shelter. As I said, I was an adoption counselor, but part of that was also fielding surrender calls. And when someone comes in, talking to them, getting information on their pet, um, getting some background. And 
I can't tell you how many times I'm dealing with people in tears, can hardly breathe. Not everyone. And I get that. But yeah, this this myth that heartless people dump animals at shelters is is really sad also from a perspective of of shame, right? Because if you are in a position where you need help, if you hear these myths constantly and like we've all said, you're bombarded with these negative messages that you're criminal status to your vilified to criminal status if you surrender a pet quite frankly it's dangerous for the pet because they're not going to get the care they need um i look at some people some of the calls i've taken a family has really good intentions they get a pet they think like oh this is what we do my kids will love this and it's too much for them they're not horrible people like they made a mistake And they're doing the right thing. They're not leaving it in the backyard. They're not leaving it in a basement all day. Yes, in an ideal world, they would invest in training and, you know, and have the time to do that. But not everyone does. And just like you said, Annie, going to a shelter asking for help isn't heartless at all. Right. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Does anybody else have anything they want to weigh in or should we move to the next one? Because I think they're tied a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I think the next yeah. one's going to be a big conversation. Yeah, so. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I guess I don't really have anything else to say other than I would challenge people on this and say, you know, reconsider. And when you're looking at posts, you're hearing comments from folks who have probably a story where they may have had one situation that wasn't quite, quite right. And... Um, Maybe there was some validity behind it or not. I don't know. But um, we always have to really consider that when we're reading comments and reacting. It, the, the better thing to do is do your research and respond thoughtfully. Yeah, I guess my general rule is never read the comments. (laughs) Never. Right. Right. And definitely don't interact with them. (laughs) Right. I will say, too, one one post I had seen that really... um, stuck with me is a shelter posting about two elderly cats that were given up and they were really proactively posting to try to find an adopter and the comments were obviously as you can predict so cruel um and so many like self-righteous things i see like i would never do that like i would live in my car with the cats or whatever and it's like not everyone even has that luxury if you think about it you know when you really break it down and quite frankly if you're living in the car like cold heat that might be dangerous for a pet and then people would get on you for that. So you really can't win. But in any case, the shelter came back and they said the owners come here with toys and cry every day. They come to see their pet because this was the most heartbreaking decision they had to make. And it's circumstances you can't imagine. And I just like remember thinking like, yes, these people have a story and there were so many people just behind their screens making assumptions and, to me, it's just heartbreaking, and that's why I think this shame is so dangerous for the animals because people are afraid to seek help when they see that, the way they're treated. Yeah, so that is something that I think about a lot is that we want our shelters to be a place where people can go to for help and to not receive neg- you know, negativity, not receive judgment. And, yeah, it is more dangerous for the animals if you feel like you can't go there for help. And like I said, number one and number two really tie in together. So let me start with myth number two. If you can't afford a pet, you shouldn't have one. I'm going to read some of these comments here. 
I would get a second mortgage on my house to save my babies, their family, just saying. I'm over here like I'd sell my car to save my pet, but I guess that's just me. Baffles me when people get pets when they don't really have the love or commitment to care for them. There's always someone or some organization that'll help you. When I couldn't afford a $3,500 knee replacement for one of my dogs, I found a way to get him the surgery. I wonder if they would surrender one of their kids if they needed surgery. I have no use for these kinds of people. If you can't afford a pet, don't get one. Girl. I know. I know. First of all, this woman couldn't afford a $3,500 knee replacement. Does that mean that she shouldn't have had a pet? I've even seen people in our own animal welfare community who start like a GoFundMe to help their dog get surgery and all these other people willingly donate money to them. And I think that's wonderful. I think it's wonderful we have a community that does that. But let's face it, they're doing it because they couldn't afford whatever the problem was. <laughs> so does that mean that they shouldn't have had the pet? No, it meant that they had the resources and the bandwidth in their life to seek out other resources. When you're trying to keep a roof over your head or fighting eviction and poverty or trying to get to a job where you have to change buses three times and take two hours to get there and don't have a phone or don't have internet or Wi-Fi, how are you supposed to go online and look up what organization is going to help you? You're not going to do that. You're not going to do that. The, these comments are coming from folks that live in privilege or born in privilege. And I guess the worst part is I always feel like privilege is such a lightning rod word because some people think privilege means like, you know, uh, right, like, oh, you were given a BMW yeah. on your 16th birthday no, or something. I, th I think that, you know, what came to mind for me first is, and in, in regards to privilege, like, it is the ability to disregard reality right like the reality of it is that there are 200 million pets in this country like there are so many animals and so when we're looking at it from a practical perspective the animals are here and they're going to keep coming right so we go back to that root of the issue right which there are many and we can discuss those but you know from a practical perspective we have to deal with the reality that there are pets in this world and then we can go into the ethical and like the benefits of having a pet and the you know just the need for them in families lives but again from that like big perspective they're here already <laughs> and they need people and if we care about them you know, we need to fix it instead of just judge from from a computer screen. Right? I mean, I'm just looking at these comments. You know, one of the person has a car to sell. Right. The other person has a, a mortgage. mortgage and has the credit to get another one. And the other person, you know, had the resources to come up with thirty five hundred dollars when they need it, even if it wasn't from their own bank account. Yeah. I mean, how fortunate yeah. are you? <laughs> well, and beyond those resources, it's the knowledge base, right? Um, there are folks that need help and until and I can only really speak to folks mostly living at or below the poverty level. And there are a vast number of pets. Caitlin mentioned all these animals in in the country and what we found in a lot of studies that the um like i think it's the american veterinary association survey there are a lot of surveys that give us statistics on animals but they aren't counting the folks and the pets that are not going to the vets um, so there are a lot of uncounted animals being cared for and what we know about 
pets um, among our contemporaries, because everybody in this room is is a privilege. Um, it, we go and we rescue and we go and we go to breeders and things like that. A lot of our clients, they get their animals because they were out on the street and they took them in and they've never had an animal before. So they have no idea that their Shih Tzu needs to be brushed every single day. Um, and how would you know? Um, they're just not in a position to be able to spend hours researching these things like we can do that. There, every single step along the way of owning a pet and caring for a pet is different when you don't have resources. So it's just these comments are very narrow. And I, I think we've probably touched on this on the podcast previously, but through doing the work that we do in the clinics, I think there was a misconception, even maybe that I had at one point, about uh, people in the community and how they are obtaining their pets. And I mean, the stories that we hear all the time is exactly that. It's this dog's been living in the alley and they took it in. You know, I remember this one guy who came out one morning and had a dog tied to his fence. You know, people who had a neighbor that was getting evicted and they decide to take the dog in and like how many how many good Samaritan stories that there are and how many people are doing essentially informal rescue hundreds and they're not doing it with the benefit of a 501c3 they're not getting donations That's they're right. not getting a tax write-off and they're doing this on you know at or below the poverty level and keeping them out of shelters <laughs> right and keeping them from entering the shelter system in the first yeah. place right there's something I can speak to with um, if you can't afford a pet, you shouldn't have one. I mean, can you imagine a world where only people of privilege had pets? <laughs> I mean, that would be ridiculous. Like, there are so many amazing homes that pets live in, and they may not be coming from a lot of money where they have that expendable budget to spend thousands of thousands of dollars at a drop of the hat. So quite frankly, it's just, it's very sad and a scary thought. I remember once um, fielding a call from someone who had a dog. This was during the pandemic and they had, the dog had eaten something and it had a blockage and they had spent about $2,500 already, this person, on a surgery and the dog needed more care. And they were turned down for care credit because I know people are quick to say, well, there's care credit, you can apply for credit cards. And because of the pandemic, all of the traditional resources that they might have for financial assistance for care didn't have any money. And the person was hysterical crying. They didn't wanna give up their dog, but they didn't know what to do and, and they didn't want their dog to die. And it was absolutely heartbreaking. And in that situation, she was doing it because she was quite selfless, if you think about it, to give up, you know, your best friend because you're afraid that you can't take care of this animal anymore. So it's really sad. I think until you've really like been in those shoes, it's easy to troll from a computer like we were all saying. I'll share a statistic, um, which is always fun. Um, of the animals that we have cared for in the last six years, uh, about between 75 and 80% of the animals are coming off the streets from neighbors, um, folks who uh, have been incarcerated, evicted, 
uh, family members who've passed away, gotten sick, especially during COVID. And there is a community co-op where people take care of each other's animals and they help each other in impoverished neighborhoods. So I've seen more effort and more sacrifice in underserved communities in caring for animals and keeping them safe and healthy than I have in other neighborhoods. Absolutely. Yeah. I did want to touch on like the reasons pets come into shelters. From my experience working in shelters in Baltimore City, the biggest reason for intake is stray animals, which we're now moving towards lost pets because stray animals are someone's lost pet. But, you know, so when we're looking into the reasons for this, um, because I think when you make a blanket statement, like if you can't afford a pet, you shouldn't have one or, you know, heartless people dump animals at shelters, you know, again, like going back to the root of why that's happening and what we're seeing actually locally, you know, why are pets getting out and then why aren't they you know, returned or why, you know, and a lot are, we do have a lot of redemptions here and, and, you know, we do have programs for lost pets, but at the end of the day, shelters have to move animals quickly, right? So we have a stray hold period, but when out in the community, you know, you, you, you start to have conversations and you realize all of the components, um, and all of the things in, in, in the lives of the families, you know, families with pets that are contributing, right? There's interpersonal violence, there's housing instability, which is, you know, we could have an episode about that. Um, Lack of access to transportation. So, you know, imagine your cat went missing and, you know, you know, you have a short frame, you know, time frame to find them or get to the shelter. But, you know, say you live in a resource desert and there's one bus line and you don't even know where the shelter is or how to get there. You know, there's no direct bus line to the shelter. Not in Baltimore. (laughs) No. (laughs) So how do you even know where to start? You know, uh, folks don't have reliable phone service or communication services. So much is now, you know, because technology and social media so much is now sent via email or on social media you know even if um you know someone could answer yesterday maybe today the phone got cut off so you know i think we really need to dig deeper and look at these issues and as animal welfare people and moving towards community wellness in this realm you know talking about those issues and how those relate to animal care because there's definitely a disconnect right it's a missing piece of the puzzle and locally we are doing you know really cool things as far as connecting with you know human service organizations so we can you know support our pet loving families and you know maybe even their neighbors who don't have pets with providing these resources that will change their life for the better, the pet's life for the better, and ours as well, because we're reaching that goal, right? Our goal as animal shelter workers is to put ourselves out of business in that capacity um, and move towards supporting people and pets, right? I do love what you said about digging deeper. I, I think that the animal welfare field in general And you mentioned this too, people in general, you know, our ego steps in. And so we tend to be negative because, you know, our ego is driving us instead of our true selves. And I I feel like just if we could be more solution oriented 
and have roundtables and discussions instead of sitting around and bitching about everybody and what everybody else is doing, we try to put together some real out-of-the-box solutions. You know, Caitlin can attest to this, and, and you too, Aaron, probably just through Be More Dog Work, we do some really creative <laughs> solutions. solutions. Yes. And we learn a lot of those things from our clients mm -hmm. right. because they're doing things that are very creative because they don't have other resources. So when we meld our minds, the folks, the haves and the have nots, then we can get a real full story and we can get some creative solutions and we can do some problem solving. And I think until we get into that kind of attitude where we want to not complain, it's going to be challenging. I, I just tend to, you know, people make fun of me all the time, but I have very rose-colored glasses. I am very Pollyanna through to the core, sometimes unrealistically. But um, I, when I hear people saying these kind of things, I'm just, I, I feel sad. I feel more sad for the people that are online spending time writing mm -hmm. this stuff than I do the person who had to surrender their yeah. dog. Because <laughs> I think they're just... They're not as mindful, in my opinion. And I also, in our work, I want to work with those folks, too. I want everybody to give, be given a chance because these, there are, something happened to these people to make them feel this right. way and to carry this judgment. And it may be just a conversation. Our words are very powerful or they're very poisonous, and we have a choice. So I don't want to vilify these folks that are vilifying others because that's hypocritical. But I do want to get into a space where we're all being a little more creative in our problem solving. I'll say again. And I think that speaks again to humanity, right? Like, I, I question, Annie, like, how do you feel when you have, when you make one of these connections with a family, a pet loving family, and, you know, you have a conversation and you build a relationship? How does that make you feel? Oh, it's incredible. Incredible, right? Incredible. That is really where I belong. Yes. And it, and it, I feel the same, right? It may, I feel so happy. I do this every day. It's my job. And who can say that, right? And I know I feel so happy because I'm filled with love and I'm making these connections with humans who love what I love, but even more so, I love them. And it's so good, right? And I feel bad for, for you know, social media, uh, you know, commenters because they are angry, right? right. They're not feeling yes. that love. And I just, you know, to all the listeners out there, it is the best feeling when you make a human connection, right? And it's just really difficult and scary to do so. But there's nothing easier than doing that through pets, right? We love them. And now we've talked about it, you know, for the past half hour, like everyone loves their pets, right? People just go through things and, you know, you just gotta just believe that and go out and have a conversation with someone because you're going to feel good. <laughs> it's going to feel really good. It's not going to leave you feeling like humans are villains, right? Not at all. Uh, we, when our volunteers come out, they are terrified. They are terrified because, not because they're walking into, you know, some streets that are riddled with crime and poverty. They are terrified that they're going to have judgment and they don't want, they don't want to lose their cool. And no one's ever, ever had that problem. Not one time. We go into people's homes and you can imagine the things that we see 
it is can be really really uh, just sad and I think once you go in and you have a conversation you become humbled and you feel the love you feel the love and you know for the listeners the whole time Caitlin was talking about this she had her hands on her heart so it really does come from the heart it's genuine and um, I've been doing this work for almost seven years and I don't have an ounce not even my little toe of burnout because of the rewards that come from the people absolutely you know I want to do an episode one time where I kind of discuss sort of the history of Be More Dog and how we got started doing the clinics because it's really kind of an interesting story. And it was honestly very controversial. And we actually, we used to have this this large group of, of people involved. And when we decided we wanted to start doing the clinics, like we lost more than half of the people who were involved because <laughs> they didn't think it was the right thing. They didn't want to get involved. They didn't want to, they didn't know what we would see. They'd, they thought they would have judgment. You know, they thought that we would be seeing these horrible things and I mean it's literally the best thing I've ever done in my life right. you know <laughs> and they're amazing yeah I mean it's it's literally and we're family because of it right like yeah. it makes right. all, of us all of us closer <laughs> there's just so much love at those events yeah both you know all around and and we've met some just amazing people and we see the same people year after year with the same pets and we grow up with their pets and see their pets get older and we see them carrying their 50 pound dog down the street in their arms because their dog can't walk anymore and I mean we you know we see the guy who came with his dog you know with his friend's dog and his friends got murdered and he wants to take care of you know his friend's dog as like a legacy and we see the women who take care of their son's dogs when their sons are incarcerated and we you know we see just how many people are just doing so much out of love and it just really you know made me realize my own privilege and made you know like i always feel like i used to be a grinch and doing Mm -hmm. this work has made my heart grow three Mm -hmm. sizes you know (laughs) (laughs) uh i'm so fortunate to to know you all and to have you guys here (laughs) oh i feel the same way so all right let's go on myth number three dog comes into the shelter has some kind of injury or wound on it so it must be a bait dog. So here is something that I saw posted online recently. A couple of good Samaritans found a pit bull mix wandering the streets with a severe leg injury. The poor pup is believed to have been used as a bait dog by dog fighters, which means he was used to test the tenacity and aggression of larger, stronger dogs. It was clear these abusers did not care if Calvin lived or died. And we see the picture of the dog and the cone and the leg grab. And I'm just like, hmm. wow, we are jumping to a billion conclusions Seriously. here. Yeah. First of all, Penny has more like marks on her face that are from her, you know, her fence and the crate and running into the, you know, corner of the coffee table in our house than she ever did when I found her literally in an alley. <laughs> <laughs> and I just think, wow, all the conclusions that we're jumping to here. And mm-hmm. and I I hope this doesn't sound cynical, but sometimes I start to wonder, like, are we just using Mm -hmm. stories like this to get attention on social media for some kind of negative, in my opinion, a negative marketing purpose? But, you know, I just, I just don't know where these things come from. (laughs) It's so old, right? Like, I'm thinking, like, 
as you're you're reading the the text here like this is so old people like it's and it's unfounded <laughs> right yeah, it is I, you know i i wish i knew I wish I could speak more articulately on it because I do know people who can and they've been, you know, they've worked for HSUS, Humane Society of the United States, and they really know this topic mm -hmm. inside and out. And the, the, the bust is there's no such thing as a bait dog, period, period. You're fighting the dogs or you're not. You're not throwing in, and some people even think that this is, you know, this is at least a, another uh, pit type or a bigger dog, but I've heard people say it about, like, little, little poodles. Yeah. Like, they're going to throw a little 5, 10-pound animal in with an 80-pound dog. Like, what would be the point? I, it's Absolutely. just nonsense. And, and, like, dogs get in fights. It happens. Right. It's happened right. at my house before. Yes, it's happened in my house too. Dogs get into fights. Dogs get into scuffles. So, you know, that doesn't mean that my dog is a bait dog, right? You know, we have to look at the entire situation. Just because you have a scar doesn't mean something terrible happened. No. So. No, I have plenty of scars just from doing dumb things. <laughs> and I do, I do want to say that I think it's, it's tough to have these conversations for a lot of us. So I think, you know, we pick and choose, we have to, but like this one's just a tough one. So I think it's just not necessarily talked about enough because it's so frustrating to hear it that it's hard to figure out how to have a rebuttal to that. That isn't going to cause more tension. And I think that's always yeah. hard for us because, you know, when we're looking at like my side, your side, like we're never going to come to a middle ground or like an understanding. So how do we approach this? Mm -hmm. So like, I don't want to say that there's not such a thing as dog fighting. There is. Right. I don't think it's quite as, it's not nearly pervasive. as prevalent. Yeah. As definitely people think not. it is. But yeah, sometimes there are people who are fighting dogs and sometimes there's a dog that gets messed up in a dog fight, but not every dog that you see that, I mean, if you read, I don't think I put the whole thing in here about all the injuries, but it's like, it's not like this dog got out of his yard and got hit by a mm -hmm. car. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, right. You know, he had like a broken leg or, or something. Like, I don't think that happened, you know, in dog fighting. And if it was, it wasn't because he was a bait dog. Right. Like, I, like I said, like this There's is like, always more to the story, right? Yeah, the bait dog, the bait dog term is just <laughs> crazy. I don't know how people get this in their mind. Um, I, I feel like the term bait dog wouldn't be around if there wasn't social media. Like, I feel like it's a social media invented term or something. I feel like a lot of times we hear people, um, their narrative about their dog's previous life before they had the dog is more dramatic than it might really be. And, um, and I don't know, sometimes like I've seen people who kind of like wear that as like a chip on their shoulder. Like before me, this is what my dog must have been through and assuming the worst when really like, we don't know, <laughs> like, you're right. We don't, we really don't know. And, um, it's traumatic for a dog to have a transition in Absolutely, general. Right? Yeah. Life yeah, is like going trauma. And like, what if you, like, sometimes these dogs are just traumatized from simply being in a loving home and being given up mm -hmm. and adjusting to a new environment. I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> like, that's a lot. It is a lot. We ask a lot of dogs. <laughs> we do ask a lot of them. And sometimes I think we, we make these stories up somehow in our heads to make us feel better. I don't know. And I, 
I can say like I've been a person like that before. I've been that I've done that too in the past. And it's just interesting to like look at and think about. And it's not that there's anything wrong with, you know, thinking that your dog has been through something worse than it has, or maybe it it has. We don't know. But that's the point. We just we don't know. And I feel like we assume the worst. Yeah, that's a good point. I, you know, going back to the very first myth you mentioned that people um, first of all, the term they use dump was in, intentional. Um, a lot of the words they use are very intentional and evocative. Um, I, I think that uh, if we didn't vilify and we weren't feeling so frustrated by folks who need to surrender their animal, then that would create an opportunity to handle that situation different and have a longer conversation. And then we could reveal some of those things that might be going on with the animal. A pet may come in and be a perfectly lovely pet and someone can't take care of it but there might be more to the backstory so if we sat down and engaged and helped that person you know reveal more um they would feel better and it could be presented as the more we know the better we can you know make sure your pet is in another home that was loving like yours but can still manage or you know whatever that conversation is but it just closes the door and it eliminates any opportunity to get more information and be more successful once you place that animal. And then people would have the real story. <laughs> I mean, I think people like, you know, from childhood, we, we hear and we say like, treat people how you want to be treated. Right. But I think, you know, our good intentions don't necessarily meet good action. Right. So, you know, if you're an advocate, and if you call yourself an advocate, I think you have to ask yourself, like, my intentions are good. What are they? Right. And then what do my actions look like? Like, are they meeting my intention? Because if your intention is to love and care for and support animals, right, and you're posting on social media, that's not a solution. And we keep going back to solutions like your actions have to be just as good and thought well thought out as your intention is. Right. Yeah, and piggybacking on what Annie said, I know that the shelter I worked at, we did get a, a long history um, so we could best place the animal in a home that would be best suited depending on if there are any issues going on that they'd need to know about. But a lot of times, you know, an animal would be given up for a reason completely out of the person who's surrendering the animal's control, whether it be financial, housing, incarceration. Um, I could go on. But... I've spoken to adopters during interviews who will say things like, oh, I can't imagine what this dog must have been through. Like when they just have no idea and I'll say, oh, actually this dog came from the sweetest family and it was so heartbreaking and their face just kind of like softens. Like it's that quickly, that quickly. Like it's just this assumption people make. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really sad. There's so many assumptions and I, I don't know why there's must be some sort of human nature to, you know, make up a backstory. Yeah, I think it's a protectionary method. hundred percent. Yes. It's ego. We definitely um, create stories all the time when we don't have all the answers. We fill in the blanks constantly. It's just a really, really common thing to do. And most of the stories that we come up with are wrong. You know, it, I was actually just thinking back. <laughs> and this is going to come from out of left field, but I swear I have a point. Um, Years ago, my husband and I went to marriage counseling, and 
it was this really specific type of marriage counseling that we did that's called a mago and it really works on like this having this dialogue and everybody's validating each other and um it was very very helpful so I think sometimes like we get into arguments, right? Whether it's like our spouse or anybody in our life, right? It, because it's like, we think in our head, like, well, I wouldn't have reacted that way unless, you know, I hated them, unless I had contempt for them, unless I thought they were stupid, right? And we're all like jumping to these assumptions, right? And then when you hear the other person's stories, like they have a totally different reason why they were reacting that way, you know? And uh, like my husband, like sometimes he yells and gets really loud. And I came from a family that didn't yell. And so when he gets like loud, I'm like, oh my God, he hates me. You know? Right, that must be real. <laughs> you know, and he's like, I got a problem where this is how we talked. You, know? <laughs> you can't hear if you don't yell. Right. And so, like, it took me a long time to realize, like, oh, he's just yelling because he's just loud. And it's not because, like, it's something, like, at me. <laughs> you know? And so we we just do this all the time as we make up all these stories when we're not actually sitting down and getting the facts and realizing that the truth of the matter is very different and that, you know, the perspective is very different. I think I made a point. You didn't. It didn't come out of left field. Because honestly, when when you were speaking, I was thinking about therapy. Because I was like, you know, therapy is a privilege. But how many people living in privilege are going to therapy? Probably a lot. I think a lot of people do therapy. Not as many as they need to. I think it, I would bet it's elevating. I mean, you might know more about those statistics. But I think there's less stigma around Mm -hmm. it. So hopefully. But, At least with a younger generation. You know, or in looking at why, you know, why do people go to therapy? It's because they don't know what's in their head, right? They have to get it out and then talk to somebody who then talks back to them about what they said. Um, so it's all of us, right? And we need to, like, hear our own stories in order to even figure those out. And so, like, if we look at life like everybody's going through therapy and we practice kindness like we would want our therapists to do, right? Um then we'll have, you know, these open conversations that will lead us to the betterment of ourselves and and the world around us, right? It all starts from within. Absolutely. And I think, again, just to reiterate, being less reactionary, um, because we we do all have source trauma and source fractures in our in our history, even if it's, you know, the way you came out of your mother. It, could, it, it can impact you and the way you handle things for the rest of your life. And the more you're aware of your own psychology and your own shortcomings and your own strengths, the better equipped you are to really be thoughtful and not react. Respond, don't react. Consider more of the story. You know, sometimes it's hard for me because I've shared this with you before and um, you know, but for you guys you know I'm from a ginormous family and I'm at the bottom of the pack and so all my life I haven't really I didn't have a space or a platform to speak for a long time and we have a lot of really strong personalities in our family and so I was an observer and I listened and I watched and so that's how I function now and it's easier for me to sit back and say wait a minute maybe maybe and I'm also a trained focus group moderator and researcher so I've sat in big discussion groups and thrown out a topic and heard 12 different opinions and I was I learned so much it really helped me to see wow everybody really does come to this with a different perspective and you know I think these folks that are on social media they don't have a lot more to do Um, that's why they're on here and they're, and they're 
they're they're baiting they're baiting people right you know trying to get a rise yeah Yeah. we're the bait dogs (laughs) you know because i look at this stuff like you said don't read the comments i can't even look at it it just makes me so mad i mean you looked at it and you're like we need to do a podcast (laughs) on this i know that's exactly what it's infuriating (laughs) and like is that really what you want to do make people so mad is that really what you want to do is ruin people's days what what is yeah i don't understand the troll you know kind of mentality either but i think we can all admit we've been there at one point and like felt one way that we know now isn't the only way you know so like i want to say to people like it's okay if you've done this like I got into animal sheltering when I was young and had no idea and, you know, wasn't from the city and no exposure, Um, you know, and I was like, I hate people, you know, I'm over that now, thanks to, you know, people like Annie and Aaron and, and all of the wonderful people that have come into my life through this work. But like, I will tell you, I've said things like that, right? And I, I, I still in my head recognize judgment. And, you know, whether that be judgment for someone who was posting on social media like this or, you know, something I just fully don't understand, like that that's okay that it's happened. But like be better in this moment um, to all of the people out there that might have, you know, different perspectives because you were, you know, you were told that all your life. It's okay to now question that and and care about animals and people in a different way you know yeah it's okay to get over it yeah yeah because yeah i've probably been guilty of some of these thoughts and you know in the past and and it you know and at a certain point i had to realize oh i was wrong you know and it's okay that i was wrong and honestly i'm thrilled that i was wrong because i'm a much happier person now i want to have a wrong party (laughs) yeah it's really brave to let go of, of opinion you hold for a long time and adopt a new type of thinking and it feels better it feels incredible (laughs) it's growth you know and uh i guess you know that's a good point like we want to let people know like it's okay to change your mind it's okay to be like i used to hate people and now i don't because where does hating people get you it doesn't help the animals you know it's not going to solve the problem of animals and shelters no it hurts self for sure i think that um you know just to throw the term in hidden bias is an important thing to acknowledge um you know we we're, we're saying judgment and judge judgmental and things like that and we really um get really granular and have we'll we'll have a three-hour conversation about a word um in our work because it matters um and judgment is one of those i think judgment is something we do to protect ourselves um but hidden bias is something that, that is a layer a little bit deeper that we're not as aware of um hence hidden and you know we just need to like you said you've explored and you you identify judgment and when it bubbles up to the surface because we're still going to confront that Caitlin when we're out in the field we're still going to see things I mean we have a case right now where I know I saw you were like oh man um, and we love this person but still the situation um, needs some attention but um, if we can get to a deeper level and peel away and recognize our hidden biases as well I think that would help a lot with these issues so so okay so you just mentioned that you have a case now that you're just like oh my god yeah you don't have to tell us any specifics with a, or identifying specifics but what causes a situation mm-hmm. you know okay. what in that person's life goes mm-hmm. into creating a situation that's like oh my god okay so i'll give just a little brief part of this story 
one of our clients who lived in the east part of Baltimore and um, grew up there, was very comfortable there and got into a situation where because this person doesn't drive, they don't drive because they can't afford driver's training and they don't know anybody who has a car that will let them try to drive, but they want to drive, but they can't get that together yet. So um, they're limited that way. They, at the time, were living in someone's basement and had two pit bull type dogs that were staying out in the backyard because they couldn't they could bring the dog in sometimes but mostly um the dogs stayed out back he started to get very sick and it turns out there was black mold and stuff in the basement so he was really really sick like aches in his muscles and you know just strange things not feeling right so he had to move and he moved in with his mother so he moved in with his mother in west baltimore knows nothing about West Baltimore, not familiar, terrified. And it is a little bit, for people who aren't familiar, like there's an east side oh, and there's yeah. a west side. Oh, yes, <laughs> east side, west side is a thing. And he, all he talks about now is I got to get east, I got to get east. And right now the situation is he has children. Um, he has a partner who has more children. He's with his mother. Someone else is in the house. So there are four adults, I think, and five kids in the house, four dogs and two cats. And... The situation is just, there are so many people temporarily housed there and it's ongoing and there is food, there's food scarcity and like people food scarcity, people food scarcity and, you know, just resource scarcity in general. So right now, you know, this person is trying to do the best they can and they have their animals outside most of the time and they're constantly tending to it constantly, but it's, it's. They need a little bit of support that we can easily provide, and that is going to get resolved. But um, it, we consider it a case because it's not where it needs to be. But this person knows that. This person absolutely knows that, but they really have no way of doing it. I mean, he does all kinds of stuff. He's like getting pallets to build fences. I mean, just the, talk about creative. Um, but we came and we saw the situation and we're like, okay, call this person, call that person. Let's get a fence up. Let's do that. Da, 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 and we'll get it done. And because we're all resourced and we all just like quickly just, you know, someone said to me the other day, Annie, you just don't like anybody to tell you no. And I don't because I, anytime people say no to me, I really, really listen and contemplate and think, no, no is not a thing. Um, until it absolutely has to be. And I won't stop until there's a brick wall in front of my face. And that's, you know, this case. So I, I mean, I don't know if that really helps describe it. No, I think that's an amazing description of just all the layers and all the factors that go into this. And this person loves their dogs. Oh my goodness. He's obsessed and just like doing the best he can he really is so many stories like so that many stories. so many stories <laughs> yes. i mean yeah this is just one Absolutely. of hundreds you know yeah but you know like whenever we go in and we i'm not going to say we handle the situation because we don't we have to work as a partner with our clients and that's where the best solutions come out i mentioned earlier with all these minds coming from different perspectives and a, a unique vantage and once we do that we create friends for life those folks learn more we learn more and next thing you know everybody in that block is straightened out because they know oh call charm city companions they can help you out with food this month or you know call finding Knox. they'll come in and, and you know address the situation in your backyard and make it safe you know whatever it is they start to have those resources and they're not they don't have to go out to get these resources 
we bring them to the community. And you just touched on something that's really important about, you know, working with the client and that, you know, you can't come in heavy handed, like I know what's best. I'm going to tell you what to do. And, and it was honestly something when we started the clinics that we kind of worried about, we never wanted to be looked at like, were the white ladies coming in telling you what you should be doing. Mm -hmm. Right. Like we, we've worked very, very hard to always, you know, be collaborative, to be non-judgmental, to want to support anybody where they're at because, you know, they're here because they love their dogs. To offer and not expect. Right. Yeah. You guys do a great job when you, when you come into the neighborhood. Um, Cause I think your team is like 95% white. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and um, there's never that air mm-hmm. or that here today, gone tomorrow. That's always been very important. It's really know, to us. It's well like done. We're very aware, you know. Yeah, and that that, that was a, a potential, and that we didn't want that. <laughs> and the fact that you're aware of it says everything. I get that. We all the time. I so I to a fault sometimes forget about the you know cultural differences and things like that. And I try to be more aware of that, not to be insulting, right? And I'm better at it now. Um, and I can connect with people just on the things that we do relate about, like animals and what we care about. But um, if you, if anyone thinks they can go into a situation and they can provide services like the clinics and the parks and such, and you try to set someone up you don't know what's going on in that household. Right. You don't have control over everything else in that person's life. Right. So you have to just take face value and and do what is reasonable. And the only way you can understand or know if what the solution is, is feasible, is having a conversation with the person who's going to be handling the care from that point on. So it's just silly otherwise. We... You know, we're so aware of that, right? Even with like literacy issues, you know, sometimes somebody comes in, has a dog, you know, they're going to need, you know, ear cleaners that they're going to have to do. They're going to need, you know, medication. And I'm writing all these directions down. And we're also trying to show, demonstrate and, you know, and, you know, like I I worry about that sometimes. And even just, you know, uh, with our our language, sometimes we have to, you know, break, like we can't use that Mm -hmm. language, you Mm -hmm. know, we have to break it down and, um, and quite frankly, you know, even just for the average pet owner, sometimes you're oh, like, absolutely. what does that mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. <laughs> you, know, much, you know, much less um, anybody else. But yeah, it's just, it's something we've always tried to be really aware of and address as best we can. But, you know, yeah, you, we don't have control when they leave. We don't know if they're going to get the medicine or, you know, have the appropriate care. And I think that's why it's so important to have, you know, organizations like Charm City Companions on the ground to do those follow-ups and to make sure folks are getting the support because, you know, not having access to vet care, you know, and the clinics are amazing, but folks rely on those every year, right? Um, So having you know, people in the field to continue that follow up and build those relationships. Um, And I just wanted to speak uh, quickly again to healthier communities and like the unique role that we have as animal people animal people people um you know I, I, i'm gonna tell a story real quick one of my neighbors so i live uh west baltimore i live in park heights um and a family lives a couple doors down from me and um you know they've always been very scared of my dogs and 
you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a, there's a lot of people that come in and out of the house, a lot of family, and they are definitely impoverished. Um, so there's this, there was this negative association with pit bull type dogs, which, you know, we come across. Um, and I just kept in touch, you know, the grandma had a cat and so we got her spayed and vaccinated. And then, you know, the, um, one of the, um, aunts living in the house, she really wanted a Shih Tzu, you know, animal loving, uh, people. Right. And so we got to the point where, um, you know, my neighbor, the, the guy who was very afraid of my dogs and unhappy that they were, you know, out, um, got two puppies, and um they were little pit bull type puppies um and and so very cute and and unassuming right at this point um they've since grown a lot but there was a tangible like just like you could feel the change on the block because there was a new association with dogs you know and and you know, the breed, um, that we commonly call pit bull. Um, and we got the, you know, we did the clinic, we got the puppies vaccinated, we did follow-ups. And then, you know, there was a car accident that happened. He broke his hip, you know, the puppy was in the car. So we were able to get him to the vet. So we're just building this relationship over time. And honestly, there's been a reduction in, um, you know, violence in the neighborhood. Um, just, you know, family feuds have gone down. And then there's this like, you know, greater good that has come from just two puppies being, you know, and um, he came over the other day just to say like, you know, thank you so much. I also wanted to tell you that my puppies are huge. They are so healthy because, you know, you gave them their shots and you gave them that dewormer and now they didn't get parvo because, you know, they were vaccinated and it was so important. And I remember one of the most important things was, can you please get me tags so that I can get my phone number on the dogs and, you know, and then we went and did microchips. And all of this was so very important to this family because these are family pets, right? Um, And it just... It really goes to show how building a healthier community is not that difficult when we center around pets and people. 100%. 100%. It, we, we say that all the time. We, you know, we are an animal welfare organization, according to the federal government, but we consider ourselves a wellness organization. Um, and that includes, it, always inclusive of the humans in the home. Um, they are part of the pet family. And they have to be included and absolutely on a block once. And it just like with anything, once you start tending and you get support, taking care of your animal, a lot of these folks are like, you know what? I need to get to the dentist. You know what? I need to get this taken care of. I like hear people saying that they really consider because, you know, we speak of it as this is part of your family health. It gets them thinking of their mind of their own. So it's just really breeds like all these residual little fun little nuggets and i mean and it gets people out walking and moving you know they're walking they're talking to each other yes and yeah and talking you know talking to the neighbors i mean we've met more people in our neighborhood from walking our dogs you know than anything else of course (laughs) too right it is and 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 community ambassadors arise from that because you know 
somebody will reach out on the block and be like, you know, I got this dog and, you know, he needs a dental. Do you do you have any resources for that? And, you know, we're able to support that. And then next thing you know that, you know, that person is super excited to talk to all the other neighbors that they know have pets about what's out there. And and no one on that block ever knew knew. that that was out there. But, you know, now one person has, you know, grown well grown into or spawned i don't know the right word for that sure sure, but sure. this big yeah. you know there's this ripple effect i guess is what i'm getting at yeah and you know i had jasmine and mark on here recently yes. talking about round of a pause rescue and you know they brought up such an important point which is that a lot of the animal shelter marketing and outreach effort is kind of to the wrong demographic it's not directed to the people who really need it because you know the people who need to know about these kind of resources might not be on Facebook and aren't getting emails and aren't going on the web and don't know how to Google search something or don't have access to Google search something and so it takes sort of this grassroots effort to really spread the word about the resources that are out there Spread the word and glean out the folks that are not going to be looking for it and are never going to reach. Nobody's ever going to reach them. I mean, we have clients. We had a client who was 90 years old and had a little dog. And in, you know, she's since passed. Dress in peace, Essie. But, um, you know, and, you know, her dog was is with one of the volunteers, you know, um, now adopted by. But we were able to, you know, foster, get foster for her during times when she was in the hospital. We were able to get neighbor kids over to walk her dog for her. I mean, there are all these things you can do. And it absolutely does ripple down the block because, once, you know, I, I even had this one client one time who said, oh, yeah, they have a dog. And she had her nose all snarled up. And I said, well, let them know. You know, we can help. And she said, I'm not telling I don't like them. I'm not telling them. This is, I'm going to, I want this resource all to myself. And I'm like, hey, there's more. There's plenty. So, you know, let your neighbor know. I'm not, I, I can't stand them. A couple hours later, we get a call from the neighbor. Hey, Miss So-and-so just told me about and I'm, I said, I thought you two don't talk. I thought you guys were beefing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she wanted to let me know because she wanted to know me to know that she's in the know. <laughs> and I'm like, no problem. It's all good. So that was that was a really hilarious scenario. And that kind of stuff happens all the time because, you know, everybody likes to talk about and be the one to share the good news and give the free stuff and know about be the one in the I know about the resources so um it is cool so the last myth that I have on here I felt like it was sort of a culmination of of the others is myth number four shelter animals are there because there's a problem with the dog and somebody else didn't want them this could generally be like behavioral issues um I have heard this, you know, people who would rather go to a breeder uh, because you know what you're getting and, you know, not take their chances on getting an animal from the shelter because you just don't know the history or the trauma or they're there because somebody else, you know, they're, they had a bad behavior and somebody else, you know, took them to the shelter because they didn't want to deal with it. It's a bunch of dogs that nobody else wanted to deal with. And I didn't even find any examples of this because I don't know where those people hang out on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) I've just sort of heard this in my own personal life. Uh, And so, you know, I, I just always feel like the, like, Oh, that's so wrong on so many levels. I don't know where to start. (laughs) It is. It is wrong. That animals are ending up in the shelter because there's a human problem, not because there's a dog. Right. Like it's so unrelated, you know, because across the board, dogs have behavior quirks, right? 
I mean, we have behavior quirks. Both of my dogs have behavior quirks. One of them is from a shelter. Another one was a different type of situation. The one that was a different type of situation just from personal experience was it was a puppy when I got her. And she is the one with behavior issues. (laughs) Um, My shelter dog is a registered therapy dog through Pet Partners of America. And he's amazing. He's the best. Um, He's on billboards. (laughs) It's just to say, like, you, you know, stop making dogs so complicated (laughs) um you know we all have issues so let's you know we can connect people with trainers who who will support you through that but you know i think it just goes back to this is just a shell this is a myth right this is a myth um every dog is an individual and i would even go as far as to say when you're buying from a breeder usually you're buying a puppy right puppies are you don't know you don't know what's going to happen but a two-year-old, three-year-old shelter dog with home history and, you know, time spent with, you know, staff at the shelter, I mean, you're way more likely to, to know what you're getting. <laughs> so let's get all these animals out of the shelter first. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I always say that. Um, I would love to adopt a dog who's a little bit older and who I can see what their temperament is like rather than taking a chance on a puppy who you know, I don't know. And, and that's fine. Um, not that there's anything wrong with puppies, but it's kind of neat to know, like this dog is at a shelter and has a great temperament. It isn't, you know, these aren't all behavioral issues. And the other thing too, is like what one person thinks is a behavioral issue. Like maybe they just never took it to training. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like behavioral issues are reasons people do give dogs up, but a lot of times they're very minor and very workable. Absolutely. Like cats peeing outside of the box, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, well, let's try some enrichment. Okay. Not surrendering to the shelter. Like it's that easy. It's just our job, right? Our job as again, animal advocates, shelter workers is to support people and pets. Um, and whether that be a person who is going to return because of a behavior issue or a family that just needs support, um, most of the time I think it can be intervened in. I mean, I, I think that the majority of folks just need a little support, whether, you know, they have all the money in the world or not at all. Um, you know, we all go through that. And we just don't know dogs well enough as we think we do. We overcomplicate them. So. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, going back to like what people say are behavioral issues, we've had purebred dogs that are like under one that families will surrender because they're too hyper because they don't know that the type of exercise the dog needs or they don't know it's like puppy stage, you know? So like, like I said, like what one person considers like behavioral and that's not something that they're willing to invest the time in the patience, the money, whatever it is. Um, this is just like a normal dog thing. It's part of their development. <laughs> yeah, I would never want a puppy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, puppies and kittens, forget about it. Um, I think that, well, one thing I want to say to all the listeners that if there are any problematic animals in the shelter, the crazy animal welfare people are the ones who are going to take them <laughs> <laughs> because they know what it takes. So, um, and I always tell folks that are going to, um, that want an animal, if you want an animal with problems, go to a puppy mill. If you want an animal who incredibly compassionate people have spent time with, vetted, and will tell you exactly what, if there are quirks, they'll tell you about it. I I adopted my dog back, I think it's been 20 years now from Maryland SPCA, and 
I actually didn't. It was a, she was a gift. <laughs> um, and my partner at the time went in and said, I need a dog that is going to be attached to the hip. Now, some people don't want that. Some people, like you mentioned, Liz, some people don't want a dog that's completely dependent and following around and you can't leave them. Um, the story was that she was outside a lot of the day and she didn't want to be away from the humans. So she ate off the side of a house and I believe it. Um, but when I got her, it was perfect because I took her to work with me. I never wanted her anywhere else. I always had her by my side. So she turned out to be the perfect, perfect pet, but you know, that was her issue. And some people may not be able to deal with that, but there was a conversation and it was a perfect pairing for me. And that's the beauty about um, our shelters in Baltimore and at Barks and Maryland SPCA. And I don't know so much about the rescues. Um, I don't have as much experience, but I do know that we are really, we have a great system here. And the goal is to pair you for success. Shelter doesn't want those animals back. Right. Yeah. And um, just to piggyback on that, actually, the idea of fit with um, person and animal is so important. Um, and it's also sometimes like I've seen returned adoptions and it's so sad because the person who had such good intentions and adopted this pet, this pet might be, this might be a first time dog owner. And this dog is way over their head and it's not what they expected. And they may just not be the type of person that can emotionally invest um, time I don't know. It's just, and it's, it's like so heartbreaking to see, but sometimes that's the reality. And like I said, it's better than like leaving a pet in the basement, leaving that dog in the basement and not dealing with it or leaving it outside. Um, kind of realizing like what your own limitations are. I always tell people I have a dog um, now who's very fearful um, to the point where she's really not like, she doesn't know how to dog. Like she's, she's gotten better over the, over many years now, but um, I went into like a really deep depression when I got her because she wasn't the right dog for me. My dog had just died. I was grieving, thinking a dog would be a comfort to me. Then I got a dog who, I mean, it was the absolute opposite of anything you could imagine being a comfort. Um, and, um, I, there was no way I was returning this dog, but it was because I didn't want to be judged. So I didn't care what it took. I made it work with this dog. We had behaviorists. We had holistic treatments. Like she's on psych <laughs> you meds You didn't want to fail. I didn't want to fail. I wasn't going to fail. And I made it work. But it almost broke me. Like it really did. I went into a severe, severe depression. Um, I had to take time off work. That's how bad mm -hmm. the depression was. Mm -hmm. um, so... I'm not saying I'm great because I can do this because looking back, I don't know if that was the healthiest thing for me to do, but the point is not everyone can do that and that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Thank you for doing that and for sharing your story. Thanks. Yeah. I, uh, you know, it's like we all have our own bandwidth and if you don't have the resources and, you know, being self-aware and, and knowing, like, I think it is great to be like, you know what, I got home and, you know, this is not the dog for me. I don't know how to deal with this. Like what's, yeah, what's the better option? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think if we looked at statistics, you know, it, it, especially in Baltimore city, I can speak to animals being surrendered or returned to shelters for things like behavior issues or, you know, unexpected, you know, get the animal home and just can't handle it, which it happens, um, are not coming from, 
you know, Charm City Companion or Be More Dog clients. It's, you know, when we're looking at resiliency and, and patience and innovation and all of that, like, no, I feel like folks are really, really, really going the extra mile to keep their pets. It's, you know, and then we have that just like, I, you know, fail safe for, for people adopting where it's like, well, you could return, you know, you could return. Um, a lot of folks don't have that, you know, um, I want to, I don't want to say luxury, but that, you know, just that option. Um, and so I think we also need to be like, well, what are, what are we actually looking at here? Like, you know, who is surrendering who, you know, where, where are they coming from? Who do we need to support? Right. There's so many pieces. Um, but I, I don't know. I just felt like I needed to say that, you know, when, when we're talking about who is being, um, misunderstood or judged, like it's just not, it's not one and the same. I don't feel like those lines necessarily cross. I'm kind of jealous of all those people on social media with all that yeah. time. Yeah. 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 I wish they would change their hearts and minds and come and volunteer for us and post positive <laughs> stories for us. You know, I, I have to be careful with my social media and like my how it affects my like mental and emotional state and I used to follow like every dog thing and every everything and it's like at a certain point I had to be like okay I can't like I gotta unfollow this I gotta you know and I still have these things that seep their way in (laughs) get me fired up raise my blood it's like as soon as you flip it on it's the first post and you're like always always yeah (laughs) well maybe it was supposed to this time very true very true because I I want to I want to address these things and I want to, these are the kind of conversations I want to be having. And, you know, I guess I, you know, it's pie in the sky to think that it could change somebody's mind, but I guess maybe it'll just plant a seed, you know? Yeah. But I think it also can because, you know, we do, I mean, how, how many, you know, of your family members or friends are just like, it's amazing all that you do. And you're like, this makes me happy, you know, but if if that's what, if that's what people see, I think you're in a better position to be able to change their minds. And that's something I think that I specifically need to work on, but that, you know, we all do is like also focusing on how to do that and, and practice kindness and compassion and patience, um, with those that might not be yet aligned, right? Like always look at an opportunity as an opportunity to, you know, for everyone to grow from it. Because otherwise it can be like hitting a wall for us. (laughs) Yeah. And I think people, um, I always use this analogy of a spectrum and I think that people are on different places on here and we're not trying to move people from far left to far right necessarily. We just need them to notch and keep moving in the right direction. Um, so like you said, planting a seed and that, you know, they may be hearing other things around and at the end of the day, they need to make a decision to feel differently about it but I think these conversations are very helpful because we tend to believe everything we hear uh, if it works well in our story right and you know the other thing I think of sometimes is like the um like compassion fatigue in like the animal welfare community and if you're seeing tons of dogs surrendered at a shelter every day you know it eats away Mm -hmm. at your patience and at your empathy and at your ability and you know and that can cause a negative you know like make you lash out with you know without patience and and stuff like that so i guess you know i do wonder that when i see some of these comments online like i'm not you know I understand that there are people who are seeing this every day and it's overwhelming and they 
are at the end of their resources to be able to deal yeah. with things. Like and those. it's all that a lot of people involved with shelters are seeing, right? They're inside of a box. They're inside of shelter walls where like bad things are happening, sad things are happening. And that's why, I mean, I worked in a shelter before going out with Annie in Charm City. I think I probably three years, maybe two years. Um, and then, I, I mean, I dealt with my fair share of like ups and downs with burnout and such. Um, there is, there was nothing that changed that more or elevated, you know, me more than going out. So I would be exhausted after working for, you know, five days for 50 hours, you know, trying to deal with like kittens coming in and thousands of kittens coming in. And then I'd be like, I'm so tired. I'm just going to go home and sleep. And then, you know, I'd hear from Annie or Corey, you know, we have this case and, you know, I'd be like, okay, I'll come out. And then I'd be out for an hour and I'd feel like a different human being, you know, it can be so suffocating to be inside of shelter walls. And it, it, it sometimes just take one visit to, uh, you know, someone's house and, and, and meeting their pet. Yeah, seeing the, the other, other side, side of the story. Yeah. yeah, we're really fortunate that our shelters here, um, Maryland SBCA Embarks, um, have really, really evolved since even Charm City's been in the field. And Be More Dogs had a big part of that as well. I mean, I know they're they're participating in your events in the community now, Maryland SBCA is, and Barks is making huge leaps and bounds to be in the community yeah, every day. Right. You know, everybody wants to jump on board, and it really doesn't take a lot of convincing. You, you'd say, oh, this is what we're doing, and within moments, people are like I want to I want to do that um, I, I I think it's really interesting because a lot of our volunteers our our shelter employees mm -hmm. or animal welfare folks who are you know rescue you know that kind of thing and it is exactly that they actually come out when they're feeling like crap mm -hmm. they come out and work with Charm City companions to feel better because they get that human connection um, I have a volunteer who does our, our spay neuter coordinating and you know, she, she, um, she's probably going to hear this, but I, uh, she, you know, she, she seeps in and out of depression once in a while. And whenever she's really down, she starts making spay neuter calls <laughs> and it makes her feel better. So, um, it's like the opposite of burnout in this. And it, I'm, I'm just grateful to be able to do this work. Absolutely. Does anybody have anything else they want to say? Tell us what you think about all this. Like, what, what's your, you know. I, I think it's very interesting. Um, like, just the thing, like, it started with the, what people post on Facebook. And, like, I, I see that, too. My mom is a, um, an animal person. She works at a shelter up in Pennsylvania. Um, so, like, I see a lot of that stuff from her. But it is such a difference that, like, yeah, people, it's just a matter of people not understanding that, like, people you don't know, like, they all have a different story like um and it's just you know a reminder to just be open-minded about you don't know what somebody else is going through so like making a judgment like you know that must be a bait dog just because you see it and it's a pit bull it must be a bait dog like there's just always a lot more to every story and not every person you don't know who gives up a dog is a terrible human being 100 percent. oh i can read up i wrote a poem actually um, it's actually a rebuttal to a poem that a lot of people may have seen online. It's called I Adopted Your Dog Today. Um, it circulates social media. Um, but this poem, it breaks my heart every time I hear it. So I wrote a rebuttal to it. 
but my poem is I adopted your dog today the one you brought to the shelter unable to speak through your sobs the one you would have given anything to keep for another day I don't know your situation but I'm sorry that you fell on hard times and are now working two jobs leaving your dog alone 18 hours at a time and realize that that's not fair that you are evicted and the shelter doesn't allow dogs that you're diagnosed with cancer and had no friends or family to care for your best friend that you lost your job, have been turned down for financial assistance and care credit, and couldn't afford your dog's medical care, and are seeking a rescue who might be able to provide your dog medical treatment so he doesn't die. That you went to jail and your dog was left for no, with no one to care for him. That you can't find affordable housing that accepts your dog's breed. That the weather is so hot that your dog is at risk of heat stroke or frostbite in the winter if you continue to keep him living outside with you on the streets or in your car. That you got divorced and the only people you have to stay with won't allow you to bring your dog. That your good intentions went wrong and you took on too many animals. That your assisted living doesn't allow dogs. That you were served to call our, you were called to serve our country. For the mental breakdown you had from the challenging behaviors you did not expect to be faced with when you set out to find a dog to be a comfort to you. That your baby is severely allergic to your dog. That were, you were in an abusive relationship and had to flee to save your life and your dog's. That your new dog doesn't get along with the one you've had for years and you had to make the hard decision to keep your original dog comfortable. That you recognize you're not active enough to give your dog the exercise he needs. That your dog bit your child. That you exhausted all options and were forced to make this heartbreaking decision. But most of all, I'm sorry that people who not, know nothing of your situation are making assumptions about you. That people are shaming you, only deepening the sadness you already feel about this decision. I'm sorry for your loss, and I thank you for allowing me to adopt your pet and give him a second chance. He's in good hands, and we're having a great time. Thank and you also, for waiting till the end to read that. I, know, I, also know. I just wanted to say, well, thank you. That's beautiful. Thank and you. For those who can't see us, we're all in tears in here. I know we're all. <laughs> um, I just what it, what came I noticed was the vast more number of comments there and reasons why people have to surrender their dogs than the initial poem mm -hmm. that had a limited number yeah of non-specific yeah. things non-specific things yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah i mean that was so loving and the other one was so angry right mm -hmm. yeah i'll post a link i'll have aaron post a link to it in the in the show notes so thank you yeah Perfect. i wish that poem would circulate you just, you know, you brought everything full circle there. Oh. Well, and it's, it's actually um, really interesting. And Aaron knows this. I wrote that a little while ago now, well over a year. And I, I wouldn't share that with anyone because I was terrified of the backlash of people disagreeing and people being like, oh no, people are heartless, you know? And, and, um, you know, I finally, it, it was a process of me finding my voice and being able to share it, but I have shared it now and I do share it proudly. But, um, but that's just a testament to how hard it is, how the hard this stuff is, how, um, how much emotion there is around it. So. You're a real sweetheart. And you're brave. Yeah, yeah no. You. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the writing is beautiful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you all. Thank you. I hope you all enjoyed that conversation as much as I enjoyed getting to have it. I was realizing when I listened back that we ended a little bit abruptly, but I think that's because we were all in tears after Liz read her poem. <laughs> 
There's a link in the show notes to Liz's poem, and we would love, love, love if you would share this on your social media account or with a dog-loving friend in your life. It's really important to me, and I take it as a responsibility to want to contribute to positive discourse on these types of conversations, and that's why I was so supportive of Liz sharing her thoughts so beautifully around this topic. If there's only one takeaway that I want you to get from this episode, it would just be about the dangers of jumping to conclusions and making assumptions about the circumstances in someone else's life that leads them to making hard decisions that you may or may not agree with. I've seen this cool quote shared on social media sometimes that says, empathy is more rebellious than a middle finger. And I love that because I think sometimes it's easy to get mad and say, oh, screw that person, screw them for doing that. But it's actually harder to stop and try to put yourself in their shoes for real, for real, for real, and examine what exactly is going on in their lives and what are their real circumstances that are leading them to these actions that you may disagree with. I have one other quick story that I wanted to share with you about making assumptions and jumping to conclusions. So I drive a lot. I have a long commute to my office. It's like 45 minutes each way. And so I'm always seeing people on the road who are driving like assholes for lack of a better term. And It really bothers me when I think somebody is doing something that is unsafe and putting other people's lives at risk needlessly. But I had an interesting experience several years ago that sort of colored the way that I think in my head about how other people are driving. So about five years ago, my husband and I were at the beach for a week in Delaware, and you have like kind of like this main route one highway through Delaware and then you turn off of that road and kind of go down this windy road that takes you down to where the house we were renting was and they were actually doing road construction on this like kind of long windy road because every time it rained the road would flood out and nobody at the beach could leave their house so my husband and I are leaving one afternoon to go out and get something to eat and it's really hot it's like you know July or August it's like you know 95 degrees out and we're driving past the construction crew and we get a little bit past the area where the road construction is and we see one of the construction workers you know he's got like the vest and the hard hat and the boots on and he's like speed walking up the side of the road he's got like buckets of sweat pouring off of him and he sees our car and he's kind of like waving us down and my husband and I are like okay so we we stop and pull over my husband puts the window down and this guy says hey would you be able to do me a favor? I'm so sorry to impose on you. Um, I just found out about a family emergency and I need to get home as soon as possible. My car is parked up the road. It's about a mile, mile and a half up the road where like the construction staging area is where, you know, all the construction equipment's parked at night. And I guess during the day, that's where all the workers park their cars. And so he's like, can you drive me up to where my car is? And we're like, sure, get in. You know, we're obviously going in that direction. Anyway, it was no problem at all for us to do this. So the guy gets in the car and he's like, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I just got a phone call that my son drowned in a pool and he was pulled out and he's in the hospital and we don't know if he's going to make it and I live in Georgia my son's in Georgia you know I'm here doing this construction project for the summer and I need to get home and get back to Georgia like as soon as possible I'm going to try to see if I can get a flight out tonight if I can't I'm just going to try to drive through and you know he's like making phone calls and texting like 
while we're in the car with him and so we drop him back off at his car and we're like good luck man you know we wish you all the best and my husband and I go on about our day so we're driving back up to the main road we're still on this kind of like windy beach road it's like 25 30 mile an hour speed limit and like a minute or two later this car is like driving like 90 miles an hour I don't even know just hella fast passes us illegally on a double yellow line and we look over and we realize it's this construction worker guy right and he's obviously just driving like a bat out of hell because he wants to get back to his son immediately and you know what in any other instance I would see somebody driving like that and be like what an asshole but in that moment I understood it because I understood his circumstances and I wasn't jumping to conclusions and I wasn't making assumptions about why this person was driving so fast. I was like, yup, I get it. So now when I'm driving on the road and I, I see people who are driving in what I think is an aggressive manner, I try to keep it in the back of my head. You know, maybe they're trying to make it home to their kid. Maybe something happened. My guess is that most of the time, these people are probably just assholes, but it honestly makes my life better to just think maybe they're rushing home to see their kid, and maybe that helps me keep my blood pressure down when I think that way. But that experience with the construction worker comes to my mind anytime I think about the idea of jumping to conclusions and making assumptions. And it's something that, I mean, literally took like less than five minutes out of my life five years ago, but has really stuck with me every day ever since. And wherever that gentleman is, I hope his son is okay. And I, I think about that more often than you'd, you'd think I would. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and I certainly welcome any comments or feedback. If you have any other myths that you want to address, if you'd like to take part in a roundtable episode, I'd love to do that. I'm open to doing more of them by Zoom, too, even though it was very cool to get to do one all in person. Uh, you know how to reach me. I'm at Erin, E-R-I-N, at BelieveInDogPodcast.com. You can find me on Facebook at Believe in Dog Podcast and on Instagram at Believe in Dog Podcast with underscores. Feel free to drop a comment or send me a DM. I read them all. And if you liked this episode, again, I appreciate you sharing with a friend. Or I'd really love if you wanted to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, it really does help more people find the show. And it really just means a lot to me that you take the time out of your day to send some good words about this podcast. I'll have a link in the show notes that'll make it super easy for you to do this. Thank you one more time to Annie, to Caitlin, to Liz, and to Chuck. And that is it for this episode of the Believe in Dog podcast. Until next time, this is Erin Scott sending you hugs and belly rubs. Mm -hmm.